We're going to pick up our teaching today in where we left off. So I want you to go back into uh, 1st or 2nd Samuel. I think the last teaching that we labeled was one thing have I desired. And this is going to be titled in similarity, one thing God desires. It'll be the heart of God expressed to David as David had a great desire put on him on what he wanted to do. And we already looked at that. But I wanna really just kind of reinforce what the Lord's saying to you and I in this teaching as well. So that's Second Samuel. We're gonna pick it up in verse nine, chapter seven. First Samuel, chapter seven. Verse nine, and I have been with you wherever you have gone. So if there's anybody that has had doubts today, maybe that is one of the most profound things you could hear. I have been with you wherever you have gone. Now it's interesting, but this is about, I think, where we left off before. And I just find that to be so refreshing to pick it back up. Because sometimes when there's a crisis and a challenge, this is the very thing that we forget about God. And what I would believe this is stating is his faithfulness. Wherever you have gone, I've been with you. If you've gone to the dark side, I've been with you. That was a term coined in a popular movie. But sometimes it describes very well where some of us have gone. It explains depression. It explains oppression. And there's something that we obviously need to be reminded of when that imposes itself on rightly correcting us that God's never left us. He's with us. That's why I like many of the songs that were being sung after our set, but he will never leave us, never has left us. God is reassuring David, and it's not that David forgot. He's where he's at because of this very fact. But he's reassuring David that from the very beginning, he's been kept. And God wants to reassure us that from the very beginning, as he kept David, he's kept us. Sometimes the conflict can be, well, if so, then why did I lose this, that person, the things that I had? So that's different, though. Those are what are called the temporals. Everything in this life that points to the humanity that we have, it's temporal. We're eternal creatures. We're in temporal bodies. These bodies at one point in time will give way to both circumstances, consequences, disease, affliction, old age. They will inevitably give way. And so our perspective always needs to be focused on the faithfulness of God to see us ultimately to the place that he is preparing for us. 
The crises are difficult. Churches around the world have experienced a crisis from the time of the church. America has experienced probably the least of the crises of the church. But even in this time, in what we've gone through, and what we have seen probably for the first time in U.S. history is, is really just a, a ruling in which all of us got put into the same container. Some of us found that we were non-essential and we had to be reminded or do need to be today reminded that God doesn't think that, never did think it. That wasn't from his vocabulary. We're all essential. But David was again having an opportunity to hear from God. I think you'll be very impressed with what David said to God when Nathan had finished delivering this message. But you know, at times, even for men who have understood the, the faithfulness of God, it does our soul good to be reminded that we are not self-made men. David, at this point in time, was king over all Israel. And so he could have indeed felt, wow, look what God's done. And usually after that kind of a statement, it's not too hard to slide into the, look how much I helped him. I've been a big help to God. And actually God doesn't need our help at all, but he does appreciate our response. And so when we respond to the Lord, we actually become recipients of really his work at his disposal. And it's incredible. But, but David right now is being given some very important, encouraging language right now. And here's why, too. The reason that he's hearing encouraging language is because within this has been also a discouraging voicing. The discouragement is that what he wants to do for God, God is not going to permit him to do in the way that he wants. And so some of us, even like David, may say, that sounds just like me. I want to do this for God. It's been on my heart to do that for the Lord. But he says, not now or not in this place. That's for another. And you would think, well, what more could a king desire to do who is highly spiritual and who always had his heart set on memorializing God in the living presence that he showed to Israel. You know, this ark that was brought in was now tabernacled as it was in the former days. But David had this vision that it was going to be glorious. And he saw it in his mind and he wanted that to be the place for God to have his presence known. We know historically though, that that was accomplished. And so maybe for you and I, one of the things that we need to be reminded of is, does it matter really when God accomplishes it as long as in fact he does accomplish it? We may want to be the part of that, but even if we're not, it's important to realize that that doesn't mean your vision's wrong, not at all. David's vision wasn't wrong and we'll take a peek 
at exactly how true that was. Nathan, in giving this word here, is also remarkable because he is to be sharing the heart and word of the Lord with precision. And this is one of his precise words here. I've been with you wherever you've gone. I've cut off all your enemies from before you and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Do you realize that we feel much less great than the men on the earth? Here's the deal, though. When we came into a relationship with God, acknowledging Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we then entered into exactly what God is saying concerning David through Nathan. He made David like the great men on the earth. And so one of the things you need to know is God is your best life influencer. We have a lot of people making a lot about themselves, trying to influence you on what it is either you don't have or what you need to do to be just like them. And I will tell you, most of it is just photo ops and doctoring language. They have a season to maybe influence some, but I know that that is right now a technical fad. They're riding a wave of people being dissatisfied where they're at. And what happens is we find ourselves attracted to the something better to do, someone doing something greater, somebody that's willing to make me better than what I feel about myself. And so if you have to follow an influencer, then may I say, no better influencer to follow than the one that David, who had a heart that followed after God. God is the one we follow after because he'll always tell you the truth about yourself and his love for you despite what anybody else says about you. It's an interesting tension. Influencers on one side and those who on the other side tear you down. And that's really where we're at. Such an unnecessary chasm of confusion to be in. Influenced by the one but criticized and torn down by the other. Which way do I go? And God would say, come to me. All ye who labor, all of you who are weary, you come to me. And so even today, from wherever you came, your homes, this was actually a labor of love, quite contrary than the labor that's required of you when we enter into our work week. But you need to understand, this is a notable labor of love. God takes inventory of your heart as those who as well tune in to webcasts, broadcasts, to have what? A part of God reconveyed to them because so much has broken them down. And so this passage right now in what David is being told is very important. You know, maybe for him, he battled with whether he was as good as some of the others. But God says, oh, I've made you great. Your name is great among those who are considered great. And that's really the way you need to leave this place today. God has made me great. As the great men and women of the earth this day, I am great. 
That is important to say. I'm not saying you can't go down to the store and buy sugar-frosted flakes and have Tony the Tiger yell at you, you're great! But God has said that here, and I believe it's something that we need to say, that honors God. You've complimented people before and, and probably have had to fight to make the compliment stick because of either ultra-humility or just a stubborn disbelief that that could be possibly true. What do you think God feels when he tells you how much he loves you and it gets shouldered off or just quickly dismissed? I think that we need to say, God, you have made me great in such a time as this, in the person that I am, influencers to my left and to my right, those who tear at me. Lord, you vindicated me. David's hearing words that are helped right now out by Nathan, the humanity part of it. God will bring Nathans into your life, the human connection that give you a message from God of how important you are to God. Don't be surprised if you hear a word from the Lord from someone that is connected as a cedar of Lebanon with you, bearing fruit both in their youth and age, and their whole purpose is to deliver a message that simply says to you, I've been faithful to you. I've tracked you from the time that you were conceived. You are great among the great men and women of these times. This is what David's hearing. It almost makes you feel as though he was wondering, maybe wandering in his thoughts. Am I really that great? It might be a mark of humility and also doubts that David had, but he's told that he is. Like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, in verse 10, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them anymore as previously. David had tracked the movement historically of his people. So, you know, when David took over, he was 37 and a half. He's veering now closer to his 50s right now at the time of this teaching. Latter 40s, early 50s right now. And so he has probably questions with regard to, Lord, are we going to have to move again? I mean, I moved for over 10 years I was on the run. And that's bothering me again that this should happen ever to us. He's being delivered a message that's, that links all the way back to Abraham's promise. And that is that, David, you're in the right spot. This is the land that I have given to the people now that you govern. We know historically there's going to be some events that will suggest that movement, in fact, was contrary to what he's receiving as a word right now. And that sometimes is a point to have to consider. You know that in the book of Daniel, it was about the people of Israel ultimately having to move again. And that was for a 70-year period. We know that. But we also know it was linked to what the people of God had forgotten to do. And they had forgotten basically to honor the Lord, 
to make him their first. So at times, even the Lord allows us to be vanquished to the four corners of the house, that we might learn prayer, that we might learn devotions, that we might learn to have a longing, that we might not be moved again. Do you realize that this is a time in which we need to pray as a church, Lord, that we might not get moved again until our movement is straight up into heaven. And then what we need to do is say, Lord, I don't want to leave anybody behind, and you would that none should perish. So realizing where we're at, which certainly points to the latter days, which we ought to be considering, we don't want anybody left behind with what? The influence that we have in their life. See, there's a difference between somebody being an influencer and somebody being a discourager, but then somebody that is an encourager and an influencer, but they do so because of the Spirit of God within them and the understanding that the times are short. And so if God chose to vacate us into the four corners of our house and we were looking at our clocks and we were weighing things out and we were involved in observing civil unrest and governmental resistance, and we were even probed to understand how does it work out in our lives, those were all good things to come into a heart check over. And <laughs> pastors around the nation were continually finding themselves in a heart check on what do we do, what can we do. And every man had to, if you would, till that heart of theirs to know what God wanted to be done. That being said, is that we inevitably look forward to a movement of God, if I may play off of that word. The movement that we long to have a revelation of and to be a part of is what's called a revival. How does it happen? One person at a time, two or more agreeing in prayer, Lord, if you want to be magnified through your word and through your people in a time in which your house is open and people are able to come in and find what the world has not given to them but heartache, we are ready. We're open for your business. And so that's an important thing right now. There are people whose hearts are being tugged on because their hearts have been torn, even because of what may be the very sad loss of many things. I don't know how finances work. We all have finances that are probably less than they once were, but I know this, that if it takes that to bring somebody to the Lord, it's no problem for the Lord to remove it by any means, but it's also no problem for the Lord to restore it by any means. He is both good and precise in either way that he goes. But in the text of scripture right now, as we're you know, considering what David is having to hear and also translating that into a devotional encouragement to us, we are to link with people in our past faith. These guys lived the life. And even though David was a king, I don't think I recall anything historically of little faucets that they could turn on and toilets that they could flush and cars that they could get into, air conditionings that they could turn on. Even though we say, man, he was in a great place, I think for him it was, but I think if you and I were in his place, he'd go, oh my goodness, this is one bad motel. 
So, do, so this is why it's also important to say, God, you have been so good to us. We don't have to walk miles. We get to drive miles or ask somebody to take us a few miles. But such an important message that Nathan is giving right now and the heart of God being conveyed and the history of God saying, your people are special to me, David. And because your people are special to me, you need to understand how special you are to your people. We, as his church, are special to God. And because we are special as a church to God, every person in here is special to someone for the purposes of God, everyone. I very often get the pastoral texts and emails. I do the best I can to answer them accurately, encouragingly. Sometimes the best that I can do based on the urgency of the time is to give the best emoji that I got. And I actually always send out three. I send out a hand that's pointing up to heaven, hands of prayer that are pledging to God in discipline. And it's either a cross or a fire representing the Holy Spirit. Some have asked whether I was suggesting that they join me for some schmores. But I said, we can, but it's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> He's sweeter than a piece of chocolate between marshmallow and a cracker. So what great words that David is hearing right now. And so for you to know, the church is open. It's established. It's one of the critical institutions of God. Marriage, one of the critical institutions of God. It's not going anywhere. Oh, we have people telling us where it ought to be put and what we ought not make it, but God's into it. You can bank on that. You can invest everything in it. Oh, the time that I commanded judges to be over you in verse 11, my people Israel, and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. Also, the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. This was where I was getting to. One thing have I desired from David's perspective, one thing that God desires, he desires to make you a house. How does he do that? So we know the mystery. It's being born again. It's having the Holy Spirit fill us. He builds himself a house within our tents. But then, curiously enough, Peter has to address this and say, actually, we're not just simply a tent that Paul emphasizes. We're precious stones that are being fitted together as a house for God. So he's got the real estate covered. The land that we're on right now, the structure that we're in, the heart that he possesses, that he indwells, and the people that are as not only living stones but precious gems. That's pretty awesome for him to not only be the designer but the supplier and the one who also guards and keeps what he has given. You know, some of you own homes. That's wonderful. Some of us rent homes. That's wonderful. Some of us have trailers. That's wonderful. How can I say that? Well, because it's something that we have and God's allowed us to have it and therefore it's wonderful. It may not be what somebody else has, but the Lord tells me, 
if you don't covet, you will not long for what they have. You will be grateful for what you have. And as you are grateful for what you have, even more shall I give you. So we're to celebrate the greatness of God and what God has given to many whose hearts have been wide open to God. You know, when we're in a place like this, it really is an economic watershed because so many of us have come collectively together and God takes that spiritual collectivity and he says, I'm compressing it into a great investment that's going to bring great glory to me. David, though, being given this opportunity to have his focus, you know, just rightly placed, he will make you a house. So I like that. I'm going to leave here today being able to say, oh, he's made me great and he's going to make me a house. Wait a minute. I'm too old for him to make me a house. And I'm terrible on floor plans and designs and all of that. Okay, wait a minute. He's making us a house right now. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you shall be with me. So you may want your place here and God may give you something else here, but wouldn't that be something if he really took that as a discouragement? If he said, they didn't hear me. I said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. That means personally something in which you're going to go, that's awesome. Nobody's going to get a tent in heaven. Okay? Nobody's going to get a tent. I think you can have a tent if you enter in. Could I have a tent? I just really, could I have a hammock? I love hanging off of trees. Or a cloud will do. But it means we don't, he's working on a house for us, a home. And so this is where this anchor verse comes from. He will make you a house, David, a great house. He projects now into the future. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and will establish his kingdom. So prophetically, David is having to just rewire his thoughts right now. You know, we always have to not only think about our present situation with what the Lord is saying, but we also say, Lord, I believe you. You've said it. When my days are fulfilled and I'm at rest with my fathers, I will set up your seed after you. We have to be generational thinkers. My mom and dad were generational thinkers. And Chrissy's folks are generational thinkers. They look back who is going to follow. Do you know what they thought about? How to leave a spiritual legacy for us to follow. You see, without the spiritual legacy, children can't follow. And you would ask yourself the question, well, Israel had a spiritual legacy, so what in the world happened? Somebody in the chain of that spiritual legacy didn't do their job in summoning the reality of God and his promises to their attention along the way. Or you can say consecutively, errors were made in their faith. All of us are vulnerable. Do you realize that in these times, we will have those people among us who are vulnerable because this stretch was too long, too much was lost, 
faith caved in, promise given up on. And so you may say, what do I do? You do what the scriptures say. The Lord hasn't forgotten you. You call them. What if I don't know their number? Then you pray for them because God does know their number. He knows exactly who they are. I still believe that beyond even the connections that we can make through phone and email or invitation is the connection of prayer attached to that individual or those family members. I was getting prayer requests last night and I would text back prayers to those people. Texting prayer, by the way, is a cool thing. I receive it usually every single week from a couple of pastors. They text me a prayer. And very often, if you've texted me before, you've received a prayer. I usually put it in quotations and I'm praying to the Lord on behalf of the request being made. But also, some of you need to know, we have had prayer requests that have gone through a prayer chain. We've had the faithful dispatch of the pangs of a person's heart being delivered into the hands of people who clasp them and pray. And I know this because I'm the last one on the, on the prayer chain. And so my conclusion to receiving that is a thumbs up or a heart. It means I got it, prayed for it, and it's in the Lord's hands now. So when prayer requests go in, we're doing that because we're together as a house. We're doing it together because we're linked. And David right now is hearing that in his life that yet remains, his will be a time of peace, but there will be rest that's given ultimately to his generational offspring. It's going to come from you. I will be his father. Notice this. Or, excuse me, verse 13. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. There's a couple of things this speaks about. It speaks definitely of one we haven't yet been introduced to, Solomon, because he will be the one that is following in his father's footsteps. The spiritual baton and the kingship will be passed to him. And he's the ultimate one in which David will make supply for. But in the next verse, we also know the implication is for what David cannot see, but what he has believed. And that's on the greater side of his life. That's this. I will be his father and he shall be my son. And so notice that he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. Many commentators have found this to be in a stricter interpretation that if he commits iniquity, rendered to, and when he receives or has absorbed iniquity as a son, he will be chastened. It speaks of the future work of one that is properly titled Son of David. Son of David is Jesus Christ. When he has properly received iniquity, in other words, born up, taken on the transgressions and sin of men, how would he have done that, though? There's a couple of suggestions, but one is that in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was praying, he said, if this cup can be removed from me, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And when that was uttered, the transaction of this brutality would have happened. That was enough to seal what would be the beatings and abuse that he would take on our behalf. Corrected. Did he deserve to be corrected? No. 
Did Solomon deserve to be corrected? He did and was corrected. The tenure of the kingdom that David had established in Jerusalem would fade after about 420 years to the last king of Judah, which was Zedekiah. There were only eight kings in that lineage that had their word good after them. Eight out of some 20, a total of 41 in total, both of Israel, the 10 tribes, and those remaining were Judah. None of the 10 tribes comprising Israel proper had one good king. They were taken off into captivity by Assyria. They became the 10 lost tribes. Those that remained, remained there only to the time of Zedekiah. And in that period of time, that's when Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were moved on into Babylon. And the nation of Israel was exiled for 70 years. But God promised that he would bring them back because that promise would be given to David when David said, is movement going to happen again? It did, but well beyond his years. He never had to worry about it. But to this day, such movement has never happened again. After 1948, May 14th, such movement has never happened. It will not happen. Because God has established them in the lineage of the promise to Abraham. And if he has done that to Israel, we need to look back on Israel and say, my goodness, God is good. He is faithful. He did exactly what he said he would do. And if he would do exactly what he said he would do to that nation, whom we are the recipients of the oracles of God, the tenure of scripture, then would he do anything less for us who as a church are called his bride? My hope isn't in the United States of America. Though I believe that God has blessed us, my hope in reality is in the church that God has given to what? Us to enjoy. We're the bride. If he was faithful to Israel, will Jesus not remain powerfully faithful to his bride? And the picture there for you and I is, of course he would. Of course he will. These days will be fulfilled in your life. You're going to rest with your father. But what I plan to do with what your heart wants to do, it's going to be satisfied. And ultimately, guess what? There's a kingdom coming on earth. And Jesus will establish that for a thousand years with us. Precisely, exactly the way he said he would do it to receive the blows of the Son of Man. But 15, my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. David right now is comforted. Oh, concerned, perhaps I don't get to build it. But then when he hears what God says is going to be built by God's hand, God's resources, God's power, his will, 
David just resigns and says, let it be. Many men said, let it be well before the Beatles. And when they said, let it be, they were truly dedicating it to the Lord. They had a trusting confidence based on the faithfulness of God and what he promised, he therefore was able to perform. And David moves into obviously just a beautiful, poetic, devotional thought. I'm only gonna capture just the first verses of it. Verse 18, then King David went in and sat before the Lord. So here's what I'm proposing to you. Prayerfully, you're overwhelmed in a spiritual renewal of your heart and mind, not the consequence of loss and of suffering, of disappointment and frustration and who's going to get elected or whatnot, but you're right now able to say, the Lord has done it. I'm comforted. I'm rallied. I hear his heart in this. I know what I'm to do. I need to change my mind. I need to reinvest my faith into everything that he has said concerning me. But David goes in and he sits before the Lord. You guys have sat before the Lord. And I want you to, in this next week, ask, how may I sit before you, Lord? If there's a time that you can come in here, great, sit before the Lord. If there's a time that you can carve out better for yourself in the morning before the world has its clutches on you, sit before the Lord. Before you go to bed tonight, sit before the Lord. At the table tonight, this afternoon, sit before the Lord. Offer prayers of thanksgiving. David right now is just in this wonderful saturation of appreciation sitting before the Lord and he said, who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? He's not questioning his house. He just now is going, oh, you've brought me so far. What have I, this is basically, what have I done to deserve it? So here's my answer to David. Here's the answer to ourselves, nothing. You've done nothing to deserve what God has given to us. It's called grace. The riches that God has given to us in the giving of his son to us. And it's incredible. And there's no explanation because we are undeserving of it. And the moment that you try to deserve it, you defy what grace is about. There's nothing that we've done to deserve it. In essence, David is coming to terms with this right now. And yet this was a small thing in your sight, O Lord God. And you have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come. Is this the manner of man, O Lord God? Now what more can David say to you? For you, Lord God, know your servant. And this is one of those classic, there's nothing more that David can say because God has said it all to him. All he can do now is be ready to respond. And with what now lays ahead of him, which this will cite, make plans for the next generation. So let's do that. Let's make plans for the next generation. Two, three, four, five, six, 
six, two, four, six, eight. Eight graduates, as I recall in the window. That's eight graduates that are coming out of this work here. That is amazing. Have you looked at them? I mean, aren't they awesome? They're like, you'd go, man, if I saw this, if I was their age, I'd be like friends with them. <laughs> Have you ever thought of that? You know, you're, you're sidled up with somebody that's older than you or younger than you, and there's something that says, man, you'd be a great friend of mine. I'd be on the playground with you. I'd, I'd be doing things with you. I always think about that with my mom and dad, with Christy's mom and dad. You'd be great friends. The same is said to you guys. You are great friends. I may not catch up with some of you, and I may be too far ahead of others, but you're great people to be with. And David's mouth is just shut. What more can David say to you? For you, Lord, know your servant. And so as David is left speechless in amazement with God, I conclude my speech. <laughs>